Hey, welcome back, Internet, to episode 39 of Kenter at Your Own Risk. This is going to be part C of our second Christmas special, where we discuss our top five traditional animation favorite movies. Um, going on from here, we're going to get back in with Kevin. What's your number five? Uh, my number five is The Adventures of Prince Ahmed. This is 1926. It's a uh, stop motion. No, actually. So it was written and directed by Lo Ranager. So this is a German silent film. Uh, based. It's a fairy tale that was based on 1001 Nights by... Hannah Diab. I'm definitely pronouncing that wrong. Um, so the animation style, it features silhouette animation technique Renager invented, which involved manipulating cutouts made of, from cardboard and thin sheets of lead under a camera. It's sort of similar to Shadow Puppets, but it's animated frame by frame, not in live action. Uh the original prints featured color printing. This took this woman three years to make. Um, it is sort of based on the Aladdin, or Aladdin is in it, but it's based on the Prince Ahmed character, which is also most famously in the Aladdin Disney uh, cartoon version. Um, From like Arabian Nights, it's right? It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty. It is pretty cool. Is one thousand and one nights? Is that like a song? In uh, the thousand and one nights, is like Arabian nights? It was uh, the the Arabian nights. You know, supposedly Shahrazad told the Sultan a thousand and one stories. You know, one a night in order to keep him from killing her. And at the end of that period, he fell in love and decided he wasn't going to execute her. Oh yeah, this is definitely follows that storyline. There's kidnapping. There's like partial female nudity but it's all like silhouettes of like girls dancing there's demons witches decapitation aladdin is in it he's got a small part um because prince Ahmed needs uh his lamp to get the the witch demon type stuff there's a flying horse and of course falling in love with a princess uh and as my girlfriend said that she thinks she saw it in her 20th century German cinema class. So, um, yeah, 1926, which is also, uh, it's considered to be the very first feature length animated film, or at least, uh, I saw this on my criterion channel. Uh, at least the longest existing, you know, the earliest one that still exists to this day. Um, uh, low Ranager made, some films before that, but they were all shorts. Uh, and I forget who she worked. She worked for someone who was pretty famous in the old Hollywood days. Uh, George Melees, who did maybe like the first horror film ever. I think it was like 1912. Um, so yeah. And you guys know of this one? No, but it looks I've been like watching the trailer on IMDb while you're talking and like visually it's pretty cool to watch actually. It for, is pretty for cool. For being almost yeah. 100 years old, that looks amazing. Yeah. It's yeah. fascinating. It's really fascinating and yeah, it's it's super cool. Um so I definitely this was kind of like the bar of what I was going to do animated films, especially for one that I saw for the first time cuz I just went to my crush Criterion Channel and just went to the search bar and just wrote animated because I wanted to get some kind of like lesser known. Was it silent or was it like? Um... Yeah. Okay. There's dialogue. It's written and there's like a cool score to it also, which I think it's like the original score, I think. But uh, yeah, it's it definitely I, I think it, it would it would hold up to maybe like younger kids, but it is, you know, you got to read the dialogue and, but it's fun. It's, it's fun to watch. And I was, I was really impressed with it. That's pretty awesome. And it's short. It's like an uh, hour and 10 minutes. So. 
That was really kind of nice about this whole project is that base there wasn't like hardly any of these movies that were very long. Uh, I I don't think anything that was on my list cracked like uh, you know the ninety minute mark really. So I kind of made research a little easier this time around. All right, what do you got for your number four, Kevin? I have Mad God from 2022 this year. Um, it's a Shutter original. Uh, it's written and directed and produced by Phil Tip- Tippett, who is known for his work of like stop motion effects in uh, Star Wars, uh, Jurassic Park, and RoboCop. Uh, the world's quote-unquote preeminent stop-motion animator. Uh, This movie was uh, produced over 30 years. Well, maybe not consecutively. He, uh, Phil Tippett, kind of gave up on uh, doing this movie and just the idea of stop-motion animation was dead since the success of CGI with Jurassic Park. So he was working on RoboCop 2, when he shelved this passion project and someone, someone convinced him to do it. And I'm so glad because this is actually one of my favorite films of 2022. Um, not only it being like my, the best animated film I've seen this year. Um, it's, it's so awesome. Uh, it's, uh, considered experimental horror film it definitely lives up to its title there's uh this figure known the assassin and he descends from heaven into this nightmare pitfall wasteland of you know monsters and cruelty and titans it's it's not a silent film uh because it's definitely like a sound picture but it is very there's not a lot of dialogue it's and it's all kind of like incoherent cartoonish you know, like exchanges. Um, there's the only human figure that you see is uh, actually played by Alex Cox, and it and it still feels like highly animated. It's got monsters, blood, guts, murder, metaphors, demon chicks jerking off Satan, with like these pig faces, uh, boob balls, just a wasteland of madness. It is. Did you just say boob yes, balls? Yes, boob balls. I'm trying to like sell it because it's kind of one of those movies you would see and you know you just you want to give away certain things and the and it, the stop motion imagery is awesome. But yeah, there's a, like there's all these weird creatures and it's like the survival of the fittest. It's like the biggest ones are the most cruel to the smaller ones and they're just constantly like eating or killing. It's it's wild. It's really wild. Yeah, I'm going to say that I, I, as soon as I saw the trailers, I was like, this looks like something I want to see. Which is one of the reasons why, like, one of these days I'm going to have to break down and just get, like, a Shutter subscription for, like, a month or two and binge everything I want to see on it. That's what I do, like, once a year, usually in October. I get it for a month or two. I watch what I want to watch, and then move on. I didn't even know this existed. I will tell you, I tried stop stop motion animation once in life uh, for the Malarkey show way back. Me, me and Russ did. We tried doing it with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures. After probably about two hours and having like, you know, less than ten seconds of actual footage, we immediately leaned into let's just have our hands in there moving the action figures because this is way too difficult. So props to anybody that can actually do stop animation, like, and like remain sane while doing it. Cause it is really a maddening experience. Absolutely. I love your story sometimes, Kent. <laughs> Thanks. That's awesome. All right, that's two good choices. What do we got for number so three? Number Kevin? three, Fritz the Cat. Originally rated X, yeah, oh, 1972. Um, written and directed by Ralph Bakshi. Uh, story by Robert Crumb. Uh, this is uh, my first real deal 
cartoon on the list. Uh, it's on Prime uh, with subscription, uh, so that was pretty awesome. This was... So I guess I'll go into what it's about. It's based in the mid to late 60s. Fritz drops out of college, uh, who is a cat, and interacts with inner-city African-American crows, unintentionally starts a race riot, and becomes a leftist revolutionary. Uh, this movie pokes fun at the cops and also counterculture at the same time, uh, college kids and like, you know, politics on both sides of the fence. It's, uh, it's more even than Robert Crumb's original cartoon strip. And he wasn't a big fan of it. I, I rented this movie. My dad told me about it when I was probably like 15 or 16. Um, because I liked, um, you know, heavy metal. He was like, well, this movie's on the, on, on another level. You should check it out. But he I couldn't get it until I turned, I think, 17. I rented it at Captain Video um, in the adult section because it was still listed there because it was, you know, rated X. Um, and it, obviously, in some ways, of going to an adult section and renting a cartoon, it was, you know, that was like an actual movie, like art film. It was disappointing in some regards. Um, but... It it was pretty cool. Um, it did feel I don't know. I I a lot of it went over my head, I guess, because I was still kind of like young, seventeen, watching this movie with all of these like political views and. Uh, but it was it was fun. It's uh, <laughs> it has interspecies orgies, cops that are actually dumb, dumb pigs. Um lots of recreational drug use cartoon boobs like and like <laughs> in like the most ridiculous way um and a great deal of cartoon violence including the burning down of nyu uh i love 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 this movie <laughs> this is a good christmas podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> Who doesn't want to hear four-year-olds talk about cartoon boobies? <laughs> I'm loving everything about this. I mean, I think that's what Santa asked for Christmas this year. I'm glad that this is on Prime because this seems like something I would enjoy uh, immensely. But as is tradition with anything on Kevin's list, I haven't seen anything yet that he's mentioned uh, I'm not surprised in any way, but I'm happy. At least it's on Prime, and I have access to it. What about you, Chris? I uh, I haven't seen Fritz the Cat myself. I uh, I have seen a lot of Ralph Bakshi's later stuff, though, um, and I, I enjoyed it. I mean, like, I really liked his Lord of the Rings movie. Um I Wizards was okay. Fire and Ice is pretty cool still. Um I liked American Pop. Um and Cool World is probably like his most famous, if slightly tamer version of you know, Fritz the Kit. We don't get the interspecies orgies, but we do get, you know, like a cartoon Kim Basinger trying to uh, you know, seduce Brad Pitt and Gabriel Beard. So that's something. But yeah, I didn't realize he did Cool World, um, and I love American Pop. Maybe that was why my dad suggested it because I I watched American Pop like a, a whole lot as a kid. Yeah, that'd probably be it. All right. Um, so what do we got for your next one, man? Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, PG. Uh, 2009. I saw this on Disney Plus. It's written, well, it's directed by Wes Anderson and written by Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach, who did Squid and the Whale, which I watched pretty much because Wes Anderson produced it, because I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan. This was his first non R rated movie, and uh, The Royal Tenenbaums is. 
my favorite comedy of all time. So as I wasn't like super pumped that his next movie was a, you know, based on a rolled doll book. Uh, it, it was, it's, it is a Wes Anderson movie. I, in like the framework and especially kind of like his older movies, it's kind of a little bit bottle rocket because it's about a Fox who is, you know, trying to do chicken heists, uh, you know, who's a criminal and then Rushmore also Jason Schwartzman is in it. And he kind of, his character sort of seems like, uh, the same character he played in Rushmore, maybe because, you know, maybe they're, they're all kind of like one note. And this is like, another one note Wes Anderson movie in the framework of a rolled doll stop motion animated movie, which really does feel like the old, like ones from the, I think the sixties. So it stars George Clooney, Meryl Streep, Jason Schwartzman, Bill Murray, Willem Dafoe and Owen Wilson. It, uh, I, I think I, when I saw it the first time, I, I really enjoyed it, but, I thought maybe it was more for adults. And then when I would talk to adults that have seen it, and it's like the only animated movie I saw at that time, like around that time, and they really didn't like it. So I think it's really for like Wes Anderson fans or younger kids who just kind of get caught up in the, in the animation. Um, Cause it's really dry. And, but everything about it, the art direction, the music comedy, it it's so Wes Anderson. Uh, and even with the PG rating, the they kind of get around the you know language that they would have you'd have in his other movies with just substituting it with the word cuss, you know. So like, just like don't cuss with me. This movie's great. So, anyone seen this? Any Wes Anderson fans? I have not seen it. Uh, it's got a great cast. I'm I like fifty fifty on stuff. Like I like a lot of it, and some of it I'm just feels pretentious. But um, this looks like something I'd be interested in seeing. I, I haven't seen it. I've only ever seen a few Wes Anderson things. Rushmore was my first one. Uh. Actually, I, never, I wanted to get around to seeing Moonrise Kingdom. I never got around to that. But, no, once again, Kevin, I haven't seen a single pick of yours. So, I'm prepared to be bedazzled by your number one. Yeah. And it's not Wes Anderson's worst movie, either. <laughs> so, I mean... <laughs> well, that's yeah. a glowing review. Yeah, it's not, wow, I, I really like it. I really like it. And I almost did uh, one of his other... He has another stop-motion animated movie. But I will move on to uh, my number one. Um, Cinderella, 1950, rated G, uh, directed by Hamilton Lusk, Wilfred Jackson, and Clyde Geronimi. Uh, it's, it's based on the story by Charles Pearl. Uh, that's the, you know, my first, I guess, Disney uh, you know, I have a Disney princess on the list with a wicked stepmother and two jealous stepsisters who keep her enslaved and in rags. Cinderella stands no chance of attending the Royal ball. This movie was actually saved Disney after having a string of box office bombs, Pinocchio, Fantasia, and Bambi, uh, in the early 1940s due to losing European markets because of uh, a little thing called world war two. Uh, and isn't that crazy that Pinocchio, Fantasia, and Bambi are considered financial bombs? That um, that is yeah, they did really, it was the most successful movie since the first one, which was Snow White, which was like 1939. Maybe it's older, but yeah, yeah I think 30s. 39 sounds about right from looking up a lot of research. Yeah, wow. I'm really surprised. Well, no, I guess I'm not surprised about Fantasia, but Fantasia was a flop when it came out, um, and it was way, way, way more successful when they re-released it. You know, at what the fiftieth anniversary or whatever when they re- when 
back in like the nineties, was it? Yeah, the VHS early release of it. Were kids. Yeah. yeah, it came came out of the vault. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's co- it coincided. They re-released it in the theater. Huh. And then I'm not. I'm not really surprised at Pinocchio or Bambi. Um. They they kind of deviated from that classical Disney yeah, princess format. So. Yeah. And I mean, if you if you look at them, they're two of the darkest, older animated Disney ones with you know like, the crazy shit Pinocchio goes through when they get start getting turned into like fucking donkeys, and then um, yeah, you know Bambi's mother dying, getting sh- getting shot, you know, <laughs> traumatized a whole generation of children. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this one is pretty crazy, though, too. I mean, it's a story. I mean, it starts out with, like, them talking about Cinderella losing her mother and then her dad remarries. And then her dad dies and she not only loses her father, but then becomes like a servant in her own home. And it literally legitimately says, like, was abused and humiliated. Um. So I, I, it does have that dark grimness uh, of it. And what I, why it's on my list is because I, and why it's number one is because I've seen it the most times of any movie. And the reason um, that I saw it so many times is because uh, it came out, I think, 1989. So that was like VHS was really popular. And my mom had, two boys at the time my sister is 11 years younger than me so like she would buy cinderella and like the disney princess movies but she wanted to watch it so we pretty much grew up with all of the disney princesses without like another little girl (laughs) in the house you know along with all of our action films um but it still holds up and it's it's uh it it was pretty cool to rewatch it again um and remember why I love this movie so much. And I, the appreciation that I have of the story of, you know, someone never losing their way, no matter, you know, of being abused and an indentured servant and losing your parents. It's pretty like dark stuff. And also a cat named Lucifer. Yeah. Lucifer, Jacques, Jacques and Gus Gus were the best parts of this movie. Oh Yeah. Was this the first movie that had the fairy godmother? Because, like, that's such a well-known, like, ter- like terminology character. Like, I mean, everybody says fairy godmother, and I, I don't know. Is this, like, the very first thing that had a fairy godmother that we know of? Uh, Pinocchio had the blue fairy, and I'm most... Uh, I just know that because that was the whole AI thing. Because mm. the kid was looking for the blue fairy. So, that was... So I think that was the first one. I don't know if this is the first story that references it, Kent. I mean, it wasn't the first movie, but Cinderella might be the first story. Okay. Yeah, like, it's definitely the archetypical one. The fairy godmother sending her to the ball, giving her gifts, all that shit. So I'm going to toss this out here. I've never seen this. (laughs) Well, have you seen any of the other versions of this, of which there are a ton. I've seen you know countless freaking parodies and retellings of it. Of course, like so, I'm familiar enough with 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 it. Uh, I mean, probably the most recent one that I can think of was on Bob's Burgers uh, a few years ago. Well, probably at least five years now. But I mean, yeah, I know the story, but I've just like I've seen parts of this through random videos, but I just don't think I've ever sat down and watched this whole movie from beginning to end like the more I'm like watching I'm like I don't remember any of this stuff okay I mean um, it's a classic for yeah for a lot of reasons and like Kevin said it saved Disney you know without it I can guarantee that animation would be completely different today than what we have um Right, you got anything else you want to add, Kevin? Uh, the stepsisters are pretty good, and the and the stepmother is actually legitimately pretty evil. Um, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's yeah. I feel like it's it's almost complete. Like they based her almost 
completely on Betty Davis. Yeah. Like an old, like a Sunset Boulevard. But that was before. Yeah, I mean, before. like looking at, yeah, it would have been, or maybe, you know, she ended up turning around and taking the look. But yeah, I mean, she just feels, she, I don't know, it's, it's weird because she's like the most human, you know, like normal, vanilla, generic human of all of their villains. But she's also one of like the most evil because of that. Oh, yeah. And uh, this is a little bit of information is that they filmed the actual actors on a soundstage with like actual film to like check the the animating and the plot and timing and movement so that actually makes a lot of sense that like she came out that way because they compared it to the actual actors no that's a cool way of filming. yeah i don't think they i don't think anybody would do that anymore you know Oh, green screen. Here we go. Yeah, they didn't do the entire thing. They would only do parts of it because they were trying to save costs because they were going financially bankrupt. But, okay, that's all. That's all I got. I'm excited to hear what what you guys have. All right. All right, so Kevin's already mentioned my number five. Um, briefly. But uh, my number five... I, I, it would, again... It would have been real easy to do a whole list of just five Disney movies. So I don't think I have a single one on my list. Um, my number f- number five is Heavy Metal from 1981. Um, it's a sci-fi movie. Um, it's a uh, bunch of separate stories <clears throat> all layered together over the theme of a green orb. Um, linking the the sections together, it is way, way, way better than Heavy Metal Two Thousand, which basically existed just to give Julie Stern uh, an animated move from her husband, who had bought the company that Heavy Metal uh, was based on sometime in the nineties. But um, I don't. I really, you know, coming of age in the late seventies and the early eighties, you know, the MTV age, seeing this come out at the same time, I really, um, it was very form formative. Yeah. And I see a lot of stuff that got into animation further on some of the more adult stuff going forward, but also like the, a lot of the stuff you see in anime, uh, coming from having, you know, this movie exist. Uh, you've got, a relatively unknown cast with then some people like John Candy, uh, Eugene Levy, you know, some older, uh, Harold Ramis, uh, famous people, but nothing on the likes of like a lot of the casts we were talking about for, um, uh, earlier stuff. But then you look at like some of the writers, and you've got like Dan O'Bannon, um, you know, famous for a lot of the science fiction stuff that he did, uh, both by himself and with uh, Spielberg and Lucas. Um, I don't know. Like the other thing I liked was like each segment had a slightly different uh, art style, so it wasn't like watching a singular movie either. Uh, what do you, I don't mean, Kevin, I know you've seen it because you referenced it, but Kat, have you seen this? I've seen this once, maybe twice. Uh, I, I think I rented it from like Hannaford or something the first time, and then I saw it. I think I may have downloaded it or something. I don't know. But yeah, it, it's good. I just, I, if you asked me any questions about it, I, I can't remember other than like the art style was very unique. Um, then South Park did a parody of it. Yeah, I mean, there's boobs in this one, too, so I'm surprised you, you don't oh, remember yeah. more of that. Yeah, I, I'm a little surprised, too, and shamed. Don't be shamed. There's no shame here. I'm shaming myself. I mean, one of the, um, I think, most iconic, like, actual heavy metal things is, you know, the, the whole cover with the uh, Tarna, the chick on the 
like pterodactyl kind of looking thing. I mean, not necessarily the same person, but you know, there's been many versions of that that have been um, taken for like '80s uh, rock albums. Well, the soundtrack's great, right? Like, yeah, oh yeah, they, um, they, yeah, they had a really good soundtrack. Yeah, it's been a minute since I've I've seen this, but so does the beginning. So the the cover that's the very end of the movie. Is she in the beginning also? Yeah. I I don't remember. I mean, like I, it's been like you said, it's been a while, but um, I mean the. The through line is the uh, the green orb. I thought the beginning was like uh, the like the the guy in the spaceman suit who brings the orb home, and then it melts him, and then starts talking to his daughter. And like the the, the idea is that like each of these stories is telling about itself. It's telling to her as they um, as it goes through. Yeah. So I remember watching. So I saw this. Probably in the nineties, this came out in nineteen eighty one, the year I was born. Uh, so I saw this, I think, after I saw Eon Flux, and I loved Eon that little segment of Eon Flux even before they had the the MTV TV show, like just the little I forget what it was, liquid is it liquid television or liquid animation? Okay, yeah, yeah liquid and television. my dad was like, oh, you should watch heavy metal, and. Uh, and like, I don't think that yeah, John Candy or Eugene Levy were really probably big stars at that time. They were still SCTV guys, or maybe a little bit after that. But yeah, I I, I love I love this movie. I should definitely check it out again. And it's on Tubi, I see. So free with commercials, yeah, and Crackle. All right, so going on from that, my number four uh, is probably no. I'll say this: it's not the most depressing animated movie I've ever seen, but it's it's up there, uh, and it's the nineteen seventy eight version of Watership Down. Now, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it or know what it's about, but the premise is that it's a story told through the the eyes of a group of rabbits. One of them uh, gets a vision that their burrow is going to be destroyed and so tries to talk his friends into leaving with him, and they do. Uh, and it's a pretty good example of like just how dangerous life is for a rabbit. You know, like there, there's things like, you know, all the world wants to kill you, you know, and you see, you know, scenes of like cats, dogs, birds, cars, you know, snakes, whatever, you know, killing and eating rabbits. Um, it's a cool tale. Uh, it gets into like freedom versus, uh, tyranny and, uh, uh, fascism, you know, uh, I don't know. It's like the animation is a little different. I mean, it's, it's still comparable to like Disney or Bluth, but it's not, uh, right up there. The only other video or movie I know that these guys did was one that was even more depressing, the most depressing movie I've ever seen, called uh, War Dogs, where, um, yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. That's basically like watching like somebody die of cancer. Is it also considered Plague Dogs? Cartoon format. The John Hurt? But, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah. The Plague Dogs. Yeah, that one. I was just going to ask that. You're looking on IMDb, right? <laughs> But uh, they they did a remake a couple of years ago for Netflix that I don't I mean it was longer because they did it like a single season of series but uh, I just I don't think it was as good. Um, they really nailed the tone in this movie. Like there's scenes where it's like cool as shit to be a rabbit and you're seeing stuff, and then there's scenes where like you get like the fear that like any little herb herbivorous creature should be feeling as they're running through the wild. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. Have you, either of you guys seen this? Okay. So, I haven't, and I would say 
maybe Sunday or no, no, today's Sunday, Friday, Friday night. I played video games with uh, Eric and Tuan, and I was looking for some last minute ideas, or it might have been a Tuesday, one or the other. It don't matter. And this was brought up. I had never even heard of this movie until I think Eric brought it up. Um, so. I'm, Glad that you brought it up because I still I didn't bother reading about it, so now I at least have a better idea of what it is. Um, and it's on HBO, so I, I can definitely check it out. It had it had a I don't know if I would say kicking, but it had a pretty ethereal Art Garfunkel song as the uh, like the theme song. But okay. um, I actually got the highest grade that one of my high school English teachers ever gave out in a my. Uh, independent reading class where I compared this to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So that's a distinction that I still hold to this day from Johnstown High School. Well, I don't think Mr. Marsnick teaches there anymore. So, you know, that's kind of. Oh, that's I guess really I'll hold cool. it forever. Um, at that point. I haven't. I've, I saw this as a kid and I've read the book as uh, a kid of 12 or 13, something like that. Um, and I and so I couldn't speak to to on it at all. But I do. Uh, it is on Criterion for their Saturday matinee, and HBO has a lot of Criterion stuff. So, uh, yeah, I almost watched it again. Also, it's like that or like uh, Fantastic Planet, and I didn't get around to either of them. But highly, highly acclaimed. Cartoon movie though, so I mean, I I wouldn't let a child watch heavy metal for like the sexual content and some violence. I wouldn't let a kid watch this for the violence. Like this is extremely fucking violent. There's a lot of blood in this and like mangled rabbits. Oh yeah, 1991 was a different time back then. Yeah. All right. Um. To be slightly more uplifting, um, my number three is uh, based off of one of the shows that Kevin said I think is probably one of the best animated shows ever done, but um, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, uh, the only um, actual movie release that they did from the animated series. Uh, I don't know, like the... The Batman animated series, I think, is one of the best translations of the character that we've we've ever seen. Um, without doing like a gimmick, you know, like without doing, um, uh, okay, this is a more realistic Batman, or this is going to be, you know, Batman and Seven, or what have you. Um, just relatively true to the comic book and Mask of the Phantasm. Shit, I forget what the actual comic it was based on, but I remember my sister had it in a graphic novel form, and it was really good. Uh, and then they switched up a little bit for Mask of the Phantasm, just basically changing, you know, one character's identity. But um, it's I don't know, it's it's very adult, while at the same time not being, you know, an adult-only uh, animated movie. But it it deals with you know the comic book characters um, in a realistic way. You know it doesn't try to um, kidify them or go over the top like the Adam West um, version of Batman did. Uh, and even though the Joker's in it, he's not the focus, which is one of the things I like because as much as the Joker can be cool uh, seeing him in just about every single Batman thing ever gets old after a while. But this is also um, done with uh, Kevin Conroy as Batman and Mark Hamill as the Joker. And I think those are two of the probably the best um, working relationship Batman and uh, Jokers that we've had on screen. Uh, I don't know. Do you guys remember this one at all? Um, I, I've not watched it, but it was interesting. I was actually going to send you guys a message because I, I was thinking to myself, I would love to just do a list of 
either DC or we could just do comic book. But I mean, DC has like this huge library of like the shorter animated films that are now on HBO. Mm-hmm. Like, and a lot of them are really, really good. Um, but I, ha- I have not seen this one. I, I don't think I- I've seen probably like half of them at this point, but I have not seen this one. But they're usually really well done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was one of the first, and like I said, it was the only one that was based off the original. And it was, it was, but the animated you know, series was it a 90s. TV movie or was yeah. it like straight to video? Yeah, no, no I it was actually it was actual. I, I might have release. seen this uh, at some point. I really liked the animated series. I would go back and watch that. It is. The animated series is like my favorite kind of like representation of like the Batman comic books that I remember as a kid. Shit, I mean they they did such a good job that the Harley Quinn character that they created ended up becoming yeah, yeah, one of fucking DC staples um, for like everything so they do was, now. Yeah, I I was gonna watch this too because I like. Because I like the animated series, but I I ended up not. I watched one of the other ones. I think I saw the Wild. Uh, called. Uh, I can't think of it, but oh, the Killing Joke. I saw. I watched the Killing Joke instead, and. Yeah, yeah, it was. That it was cool. Good. It was cool, but. I think. I kind of. I kind of yeah. missed the. I wish. I, I wish I saw that one. What is it called? The Phantom. Mask of the Phantasm. Mask of the Phantasm. All right. um, Moving on to uh, lighter fare. You know what? It's probably not actually considered lighter when I think about it. Um, So I think we're going to go with the very first DreamWorks animated feature for me, which was um, Prince of Egypt came out in 98 it had a kick-ass soundtrack actually i still have one of the songs from the soundtrack on my current playlist on my phone um great cast vel kilmer ralph fines michelle pfeiffer sandra bullock jeff goldblum danny glover patrick stewart helen mirren steve martin martin short uh i mean i don't know it i believe it was nominated, yeah, won one Oscar. Uh, it was nominated for a bunch of shit, like including some of the songs, um, which was what it won for. Um, I don't know, I, like, to me, this came out in a time when Disney was kind of um, starting to lose their footing, or at least their identity. Um, the animation was in that style, but, uh, you know, slightly better. Like you could tell that they were beginning to work on like CG and 3d with some of the scenes that they filmed. Um, the cast was awesome. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a story from the Bible, but they told it in a way that, you know, made it seem simple. I mean, you were on Moses' side, but it made you sympathetic for Pharaoh too, for what he was going through. Um, I don't know. I just, uh, I love this movie. You know, the subsequent ones that they released weren't anywhere near as good, but this one was a highlight for me, uh, especially from the time period that it came out. I haven't seen it. I'm seeing Danny Glover in it, and I'm noticing Danny Glover does a lot of animation, apparently. Um, so that, that makes me happy. Um, I definitely remember when this came out, and and you're right, like, the mid to late 90s, Disney was kind of spinning their wheels a bit, like, eh. was that right, like, Pocahontas was, like, what, mid-90s to mid to late 90s, right? This one came out the same year Mulan did, which which I actually liked, but I don't remember what year. It was later. Pocahontas came out a couple years, a couple years earlier. Okay. I remember, like, Disney had, like, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. And that was, like, a really yeah. solid. And then, like, well, Lion, a lot of people love Lion, Lion King. King. That came out right but after. I hate the Lion King, so I will never include that 
but I know most people will disagree with me on that, and that's okay. But yeah, like after that, it slowly kind of delineated a little bit uh, for a lot of people. Although there were a few gems in there, like uh, I thought Emperor's New Groove, for example, was actually really, really good. And Hercules was Hercules bad. is cool. Uh, I was kind of like over. Yeah. I was like way too cool for that in like the late 90s. But I did see The Prince of Egypt recently because I read Val Kilmer's uh, autobiography, I'm Your Huckleberry, a couple years mm-hmm. ago when that came out. And uh, I started just watching every single Prince of Egypt or every single movie that he was in and you know, like if it was on some sort of streaming site that I had, which I saw it on Peacock for free with the commercials. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was really good, and like yeah, with the CGI, like it held up. It felt like a, it could have been like if it wasn't animated, they could have made the same movie like in the '60s with like Charlton Heston as the Prince of Egypt or some shit, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it wasn't quite Ben Hur. But you know they 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 did a story well written enough that it wasn't you know like um, okay this is like the you know, for an example the Disney Hercules version kind of thing um, yeah so I mean I just like I said I, I one of the things that really hit I think with a lot of those like early '90s successful Disney's were the was the music you know like between the songs that Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin had. And uh, part of it was it was uh, Mencken, and I forgot what his partner's name was, but uh, the guy, the one guy died. Uh, and so, like the next couple that they did, they they had you know him working with like Tim Rice did, and Alan Mencken I think did the um, the Lion King, and then Tim Rice did the next one without Alan Mencken, and then he came. But it it wasn't the same with with having the two of them together, and so like. You had a couple ones with really weak music, like Pocahontas, you know, I mean, just around the river bend, but I mean, that's kind of like... Right, that yeah. doesn't even hold up to Hakuna Matata, and I don't even like Lion King, but I mean, even I can acknowledge So then that. you have something like Prince of Egypt come out where the, the songs are fucking kicking, you know, like Danny Glover sings in it, man, so I mean, I'm surprised you... Does James Avery sing, aka Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Uh, I don't, I mean, additional voices, maybe. I don't. I'm hoping, because I like that man a lot. But, um, yeah, so I mean, that that was that was a big thing. And then the animation being good, and then it being a story that I was familiar with, you know, but retold in a slightly different way. Uh, so yeah, it was good. Um, all right, and then my number one, uh, is a, is a classic for me. Um, it was one of the animated movies I watched the most when I was growing up that wasn't a Disney movie. And that is The Secret of Nim by Don Bluth. That came out in 1982. Um, prior to like the golden period of Disney's that we were just talking about, this was, you know, their animation company was Disney's biggest competitor. And this was the one that kicked it off, you know, where people were saying, oh, you know, this is a Disney killer. They found somebody to replace it. Um, it's a story about, like, animals. You know, they're kind of anthropomorphized, but they're still, you know, animal size. Uh, dealing with, you know, having to work around a farmer getting ready to plow over, you know, somebody's uh, house. Um, it's dark at the same time it's hopeful but I mean it, it's you could see that there was a little more danger facing you know like the characters than you would see in a typical Disney movie um, there was music but it wasn't like the focus but uh, I mean just the story and the animation is pretty badass I mean I honestly think that like Mrs. Frisbee could probably be used as like an example of a strong female character written back in the eighties that still should fucking hold true today. Um, I don't know. I just absolutely love this movie. It's slightly different than the book, but 
you know, it works better for uh, the animated version that we got. I've never seen this. Good cast, though. Dom DeLuise. Don't get to see him very often. What about you, Kevin? I I definitely I'm looking at some of I I feel like I've definitely seen this before, but also it's been I don't I don't remember anything about it, but I would definitely check this out. I will I will say this I did not realize you know probably forty years ago the first time I saw it, that Will Wheaton or Shannon Doherty were two of the children. <laughs> oh yeah, that's weird. Also, this is on quite a bit of... This is on Roku, Tubi, uh, Pluto TV, Freebie, Hoopla, and Canopy. Canopy keeps coming up. But I feel like everybody has... Most everybody has Roku, Tubi, or Pluto at this point. Right? Uh, If not have it, have... I mean, everybody's got access to it. Right, because it's all you know, free with ad stuff. So that... Makes me want to watch this. It's on YouTube, I think, and I I pay yeah. for YouTube, so like I could watch it without commercials. I mean, I definitely think it's worth watching at least once. I mean, it's um, it's funny, it's touching, it's scary. There's a fucking giant spider that's really gross. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I really like the uh, the movie. The premise is pretty interesting too. Uh, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. Cool. Very cool. All right, are we taking another break here, Kent? I think this would be a perfect final break before we get to the final segment. All right, guys, we will be back in just a minute with Part D of Episode 39 with Kent's Top 5 list of traditional animation and then the usual, like, rambling bullshit that we throw out at you. So, see you back. <laughs> 